Tanya again from Recovering Church Girls, and I have back with me Dan Gross. You might remember our previous conversation. Uh, we are actually recording this session immediately after the first one. Um, you're not necessarily listening to them in that same order, but there's a reason for that. One is, first of all, we actually had the opening in our calendars, but secondly, there's a momentum that we've built in this conversation, and I think that's really important to go ahead and, and really leverage that and just jump right in. So if you didn't get a sense of who Dan is and hear his story um, beforehand, pause this, go back, catch the last episode, and this is just going to pick up exactly where we left off. So I guess we could say, uh, you know, conversations with Dan part two, subject, the purity movement, and really just kind of jumping into this idea of sexism within the structure and the society and the very fabric, I would say, of organized religion, specifically Christianity. So, Dan, the last thing that we had said right before we wrapped this previous conversation was this idea of you wanting to really identify and own the pieces that you were complicit in this environment and, and kind of not only creating it but, but perpetuating the mm. idea that, as you said, because you were born with a penis, you were already validated in your existence. So where, where did this kind of you know, epiphany come into play for you when did you start to feel like, hey, wait a second, things are a little out of balance here? I think it happened post-Christianity for me. Um, I, I have a wonderful, wonderful friend in my life named Audrey, who is incredibly attuned to um, just kind of bigotry in the world culturally. She's very attuned to it, points out things that I don't notice. And we, we were having this wonderful conversation at a bar, both of us just slightly tipsy. And um, I, I had this epiphany that I vo vocalized to her. And that was that me saying, I'm not a racist, I'm not homophobic, I'm not sexist, solves nothing. Mm. Um, all that does is builds up a wall in my own mind to bigotry and biases that already exist because I'm not, a, I'm not a racist. So clearly I'm not behaving like a racist would behave. So, right. I, you know, I mean, why would I worry about that? I'm not a racist. That helps nobody. Now I would take a break here and say that, you know, I'll use lying as an example. Everybody, every human being lies on a daily basis. We lie to ourselves. We tell little white lies, but we reserve the term liar for people who regularly pathologically tell lies and deceive. We, we've said, you know, liar doesn't just mean you've told a lie or you, you've told several lies. Liar means that this is just like a, a, a pattern of who you are. You lie. That's what you do. That's why we say, we say you're a liar. I would say that's probably also true of the terms like you are a sexist, you are a racist, uh, you are homophobic. Those definitive terms are reserved for people who regularly demonstrate patterns of bigotry against whomever. So am I suggesting that we all need to like wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I am a racist? No, of course not. <laughs> but, but, I, but just what I am saying is me saying, whatever, I was a Christian. I wasn't a sexist. I, I wasn't like anti-women. That doesn't solve anything. Mm -hmm. And instead, I think it's better to say, I am a human. Because I am a human, I, I have a tendency to believe that my my group my identity is is uh is special 
and anybody outside of that is somewhat less than. I know that tendency exists. I talked in the last episode about the lizard brain. Well, somebody forgot to tell my lizard brain that I don't have to shun people that are different than me. So somewhere in there, that exists. And evangelical Christianity doesn't help. Complementarianism is incredibly popular in evangelical Christianity. And for anybody that doesn't know, complementarianism, complementarianism essentially says that even though men and women are equal in God's eyes, in this earthly plane, men have been given the responsibility to lead women. Uh, I don't, you know, it's just, it's just a bunch of bullshit. It all sounds horrible even coming out of my mouth. I don't like even talking <laughs> about it. But how that looks in a practical way um, is complementarian churches, for example, will allow women to hold certain positions, but they, they can't like uh, be pastors. Hmm. Um, and uh, complementarian marriages say that though we are equals in God's eyes, I as the man am still the head of the household and still the leader of this household. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, um, in, it's incipient, it's gross, and it's like, it's, it's pervasive throughout mm-hmm. modern Christianity in such a way that um, I think men are just completely unaware of it. Women are painfully aware of it. Um, but men are just unaware, myself included. And so at post-Christianity, I have this bit of an epiphany, whereas, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really not great at treating others in an, equal, with equality and uh, in an egalitarian manner where, you know, you, you are equal to me. You're different mm-hmm. because no individual human is the same as somebody else, but but you're equal, you know, you are my equal. And so that's when that epiphany came. And when I was able to start looking back some, at some of my behaviors as a Christian and now, I, I, I look at it more now. Like I, 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 I look at how I, I work. One of the things that I do professionally is, is in the bar industry. And um, I wanted to look at how I was interacting with, with female employees and coworkers and seeing, you know, what are ways that I, I probably behave that are, um, not healthy for, you know, for my female, um, compatriots. Hmm. By the way, I have to say, um, even just hearing and seeing the physical discomfort for you to even just rattle off the things that would fit under this umbrella of the complementarianism, uh, it's, there is a bit of, um, Ah, the only word I can come up with is there's a bit of pleasure in seeing that. Not to see you uncomfortable, but to know that it means enough to you that it makes you uncomfortable to even say those things by way of example. Because that is really rare, maybe not as much now as it would have been, you know, even six months, a year ago. Mm-hmm. But to be able to say, like, I know that you get this because I see the visceral reaction in you, even as you're just trying to say the things that were wrote before, um, you know, just by way of example. So thank you for that, because, you know, I can think of plenty of men that I know that whether they're still in the church now or they're out of it, but they, they wouldn't want to lessen themselves in order to make those admissions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that saddens me and there also needs to be a a bit of a calling out in that because it's really things aren't going to change systemically 
until there's an ownership on so many different levels, not just, you know, putting this on the, the middle-class white American male, but also on us, on, on the females who experienced it. And we saw a lot of this within the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And I'm always blown away by the conversations that happened within Christian circles. Uh, when it finally kind of came to light, there were so many of us that experienced things within the church that were completely abusive and how few of us had the kind of environment that we could say it in the minute that it happened. And it wasn't until 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later that we're now able to have these conversations. So, you know, for us, it was kind of like a, well, duh, of course that was happening. And of course that becomes, again, this systemic thing where we've in essence created a rape culture because we've built a society in which women's voices are not valued. You know, they're, they're second-class citizens to a certain extent, um, and our job is to serve the men in our worlds, um, specifically sexually, in addition to whatever other, you know, make the sandwich, clean the house, take care of the kids. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you put all of those things together, yeah, it creates a bit of a really fucked up environment. And it's no surprise once you start to see it for what it is. But when you're deeply enmeshed in it and it's all you know, you know, those kinds of realizations don't come as quickly or as powerfully, I think. I I mean, I I can really only admonish male viewers or listeners that it is uncomfortable um, to to kind of work through those things. And it it should be. And having that kind of discomfort, that's something that we kind of fear, especially in Western society. Like, nothing should ever make me uncomfortable. What do you mean? <laughs> um, but discomfort is actually incredibly healthy, if not transformative. Mm. And, I, you know, if you're just listening to you talk, I, I think you probably identified the most important part for males, at least, and that is... Um, when you brought up women's voices, the process for me, yeah, sure, it's it's uh, it's introspective, but the reality is, my I view my position now as a listener. You know, I want to I want to listen to the females, the women in my life who um, maybe who maybe I interacted with back then, but even like again, I keep coming back to now. Like this, this is very has less to do with religion since I'm not a part of that anymore and more to do with how am I as a human being today as a male human being operating in this place you know how am I right now and you know one one of the things that I want to be able to say about myself is that I listen to the women around me when they say you know this thing made me uncomfortable or hurt me or um, made me feel unsafe uh, I think men don't really consider that just, uh, you know, somebody posted a meme the other day on Facebook, uh, the, the meme, the title said, I'm tired of walking home like this. And then the illustration was a hand with a set of keys with the keys like coming out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I look at that and I think, man, that's, you know, I've never just felt unsafe walking home from work mm. and women deal with that constantly. And I, th- I think the tendency is for men to think that's melodramatic and it's just not, it's, it's the reality that women go through and the reality of our 
Christian upbringing is that women were told that <clears throat> you, you owed men something. Mm-hmm. Um, that we had some form of ownership over your bodies uh, that we um, held ownership over your, your purity. I mean, think about that. Like a lot of those ceremonies involved a father putting a ring <laughs> on, on their daughters, like a sign of ownership. Yeah. You know, like I, yeah, I own your body. <laughs> let's huh. talk about that. Um, cause I, I had a purity ring. Um, mine was an emerald ring and it was a princess cut. It had two tiny little chips of diamonds on either side and had a little mm. twist in the gold band. And uh, as you can tell, I've spent a lot of time looking at this thing. Um, it was engraved with my initials. And um, the kind of the party line was that this was the ring that I was to wear until I got engaged. And I basically upgraded the ring for my diamond wedding ring mm-hmm. or, you know, engagement ring. Um, so really the the underlying message there is that I never owned my own body, that I was never responsible for me and choosing my life, that it was always, it was a foregone conclusion, first of all, that I was going to get married and that I was most likely going to marry young. And, you know, put that in comparison with my parents' generation, they were, uh, what, 18 and 19 when they met in 19 and 20, no, excuse me, 18 and 19 when they got married, 19 and 20 when they had me. And I remember thinking when I was 23, I am such a failure because I'm not engaged. I'm not married. I don't have any children yet. I'm going mm-hmm. to college. And, you know, really, for what? <laughs> you know, kind of this idea. It was like there was always this pressure that, sure, you can go off to college. That's fine. But we all really want you to just get the MRS degree because mm-hmm. if you would just, you know, lock in that guy, then everything is going to be okay. Um and I, I do wonder if there had been a different environment, I wonder if I would have still gotten married so young. Um, obviously, I'm forever grateful because I love my children dearly, and I cannot imagine my life without them. And if I had to go through it all again in order to get them, sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, if that was not part of the, the deal, that's a very different conversation. Yeah very different conversation. And, you know, I'm, I'm really finding just even as we're talking about this, like there's so many things that are coming up for me that I think I've pretty much repressed, like not just forgotten about, I chose to forget things. Uh, like for example, I mean, I cried myself to sleep the night that I was first kissed because I had so much guilt and shame over the idea. I mean, I wasn't allowed to talk to boys on the phone uh, or at least not not longer than I was allowed to, you know, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember, you know, this this whole idea of not to the extent that I'm ruined that I've given up my virginity, but might as well have. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it was that extreme, mm-hmm. that level of um, just disillusionment. And, and I think the idea of equating kissing someone with having sex with them you know there really wasn't much difference in the level of guilt and complexity that really you know kind of circled around all of that Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean this whole yeah so many layers (laughs) so like when we're all getting the talk about 
you know, here's your purity ring, here's what it means. What's happening on the other side of the room when the guys are, are getting their little talking to? What what did you guys get during this this bit? Well the first I have a thing, feeling you weren't hearing the same things we were hearing. The, oh, absolutely not. I mean, you, you, the first thing you need to know is, like, I, I had sex in high school. Uh, I had sex in college. I, like, I had plenty of sex leading into when I got actually got married. And uh, nobody ever told me I was impure because of that. Hmm. Like, definitively impure. And I, that, I'm happy to report that I came to that realization while I was still a Christian. It was post-ORU, uh, the college that we both went to. And, um, I was living with someone who, whose name I won't mention, uh, great guy, um, was in, at that time was in a relationship and he ended the relationship. And the reason why he ended it was uh, the girl had admitted to him that she had had sex with somebody else. And he, I remember him being very angry uh, at her for this and he, he broke up with her and I, I was seeing the aftermath. Obviously I wasn't present for that conversation, but I was at home and he came in and was, ah, you know, I broke up with so-and-so. Um, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, she's, she has no idea that she's now damaged goods. Mm. And I, I waited. That's what he said. I waited. So I expect whoever I'm with to have waited as well. And there's so much weight to what he said. Like, I, you know, how much information can you extrapolate from that? Like one of the main things is, I mean, he just explicitly said she's damaged goods. Wow. Uh, But implicit there is I'm not damaged goods. Mm -hmm. I'm pure. Yeah. And Never mind the fact that I'm now completely separate from that, and I don't think sex or sexuality affects your purity or value as a human at all. But even as a Christian, I was like, I I argued with him, and he and I got into a, a pretty intense argument because I said, I've had sex. Are you saying I'm damaged goods? Are you saying that I'm impure? That I can only ever hope to be with somebody who is a virgin? Because, you know... <clears throat> that's bonkers, man. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was ridiculous. And he, he's, he's married now to somebody else, presumably a virgin. I don't, I don't really know. Um, you never followed up to have that conversation. Yeah, no, huh? no, we, he and I don't really talk anymore, but, um, I, that, at least, even then, and that was just right after ORU, I was still very much into being a Christian. And, um, I was just, I was grossed out by that idea uh, I think of two at the time I was dating my now ex and uh, she, she and I had had sex and, and um, she had had sex with people before me and I'd had sex with people before her. Like, I, I, like to me, that's just part of society. I might've viewed that as somewhat sinful, but I didn't view it as like my whole purity and her whole purity <laughs> has been compromised. Well, and it wasn't even just the purity because like that was the word that was used on the on the uppermost layer. What it mm-hmm. really came down to was your worth and value as a human being. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, purity was just the label. Um, but really, it became something that was far more intrinsic and far more 
complicated and complex in how you identify yourself. So I think that that's really where, you know, when I sit back and I look at it, like that to me is where the mindfuck really went way off the rails was mm-hmm. it wasn't even about the outward behavior, which ironically enough in the Bible, it talks very specifically about not being about the outwardly behavior <laughs> instead that God looks at your heart, but that's beside mm-hmm. the point, you know, heaven forbid that I would bring the Bible up in this conversation. Um, but really it came down to, am I worthy of a relationship period in general mm-hmm much more being with someone, you know, there was that expectation where if if I choose to sleep with someone, it means that I am devaluing my future husband and I'm dishonoring him mm-hmm. because I'm choosing to do this now. And so there was always this guilt and this this pressure, you know, way before anything ever even materialized. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's so many layers. There, you asked what we were told, and and oh, what that's we, right. I forgot. <laughs> what we what we weren't told, of course, is you know the, you're compromising your purity. Like that that language was reserved for women and girls. Um, yeah, really, girls. I mean, because we were thirteen, fourteen, yeah, 15, yeah, your your children basically yeah. being told that your purity is compromised, which is to me also antithetical to Christian philosophy. But that's another conversation. For another time. <laughs> It's not fair to even, even let's just keep it inside Christianity. It's ridiculous to tell anyone inside of a proposed, like a redemptive culture, Mm -hmm. your purity is ruined because of, anyway, (laughs) we weren't being told that we weren't being told our purity was, but we were being fed the line that we were somehow responsible for your purity. Oh, that's interesting. It's ownership. Well, right, like, but that's so interesting. That's the first time I've ever heard that because we were told that we were responsible for keeping the line when your lust was going to take over the situation. That it was up to us to mm-hmm. save you from your lust. Which, if you think about, it, is completely ridiculous considering what they were telling us. It's that. And again, like uh, something a lot of people who didn't grow up in those traditions, maybe they don't understand, is that some of these things aren't explicitly said. Right. It is the, the, the entirety of the culture and the entirety of the philosophy that communicates these concepts to you. So it's implicit, it's pervasive, it's, it's heavily communicated, but it's in subtext. Mm-hmm. And the subtext of the conversations with the men is you, uh, you have a, a deep responsibility given by God to protect the women in your life. And I, I still uh, feel that way strongly. I'm very protective of my female friends. And I, whether that's right or wrong, that was pumped into me so heavily. Mm. Um, what I don't want to feel, though, is uh, um, ownership. Right. And I, I do, like, I understand what you're saying because it is true. You, you were told as girls how you dress matters because you might press my passion button and ignite my lust. And now you're responsible for my sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just wrong. And, um, and I, I think that's a ridiculous thing to tell a girl that she's responsible for somebody else's reaction mm. to her behavior. Um, it's, it's really kind of awful because in the extreme cases of that like i i oh my gosh just last week 
just last week, I had coffee with a very dear friend of mine um, who was uh, put in the hospital for four days by her ex-husband. A lost vision in one of her eyes. She's uh, just a lovely person all around. Um, just lights up rooms when she's in it, even now. And we were sitting having coffee and we're talking about this and she literally said to me, I've been looking at, you know, my life and just trying to, you know, see what part of that was my, you know, what part of that was I responsible for? And I, like, I, I, I cried and I'm not an easy crier, <laughs> but I, I cried right in that moment. Like I, like tears start streaming on my face. I'm like, Rachel, I, I can say her name because she absolutely will not watch this podcast. <laughs> it's not your, your demographic. Rachel, I, like, I, it pains me that you would feel any <laughs> responsibility for that. Mm. That's just wicked mm. that somehow, and she was raised in a religious tradition, mm -hmm. somehow it has been communicated to her that she has to own some piece mm -hmm. of a man beating the ever-living shit out of her. I like, I know that that is a lower percentage of the experience that women have, but it's much higher than men would care to admit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I like I that hurt hurt me to hear like because again I think I was complicit to that culture. These mm -hmm. stupid we we would call them innocent things, you know, telling women just make sure you. Keep those skirts low, ladies, or, or you'll, all of that creates that culture where the subtext is you own it when men rape you, mm -hmm. uh, beat you, demean you in public. Right. You can't walk down the street without getting catcalled. Well, maybe you should dress differently. What the fuck, mm -hmm. man? Like, no, no, <laughs> no part of that woman's actions should be. Uh, held responsible for that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, instead we should be having conversations with parents about, Hey, raise your boys to be not dicks. Right. Right. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I, it just, anyway, that conversation broke my heart and it, and it mm -hmm. illustrated for me, and this literally was just last week. Yeah. Um, it, it really illustrated for me again, drove home that I need to, to be listening, to be paying attention and, and also just made, it filled me with disgust about mm. a seemingly innocent irritation, that whole complementarian culture and Christianity, how dangerous it is. And here's this poor girl, even now, that happened four years ago. Four years later, she's still trying to wrestle with mm. what part of that she should own. Mm. And I, I just, I don't, obviously my words weren't going to like suddenly wake her up and fix that, but... I did try to tell her, you know, I hope I'm one of thousands of voices telling you, mm. no, you don't own any of it. Yeah. And that, that's such a difficult thing because I can completely, totally understand the thought process in that. Again, you know, having that is, is kind of a shared background. Um, and you mentioned the idea of, you know, how we change the narrative with the next generation and even 
even not even the next generation, but even amongst ourselves. Like the fact that we're actually talking about these kinds of things, you know, other than being segregated into the boys go in this room and the girls go in this room and here we're going to have this conversation now in, in church and youth group, mm-hmm. um, you know, we never really talked about this kind of stuff. So it's interesting to me to watch this, you know, kind of come full circle where the conversations are being had not only on social media and they're getting more energy and more attention there, but it also, I think, is opening the doors for conversations like this. You know, we've known each other for 25 years, and I don't think we've ever talked about the purity culture and how that has impacted, you know, both of us in our own Mm -hmm. individual experiences, but then also in this kind of shared collective. And you mentioned something about, you know, again, with the idea of, of the kids involved, uh, I remember probably about a year ago, uh, my son had a bunch of his friends over and, uh, you know, they were just horsing around like, you know, 14 year old boys do. And it was part pillow fight, part dog pile, part, you know, like whatever. It was just, it was the boys being boys, but like the actual definition of boys being boys <laughs> as opposed to the permission for bad behavior. Um, and I, I pride myself on being the cool mom. You know, like I really like having my cool mom card, but I just about lost all those points that night because I interrupted everything they were doing. And I was like, I just want to make sure that everyone involved is truly okay with what's happening. And I want to hear it from each of you that you give your consent to be involved in this right now. And I fully recognize that, like, obviously, if they're kind of all peer pressuring each other, there's going to be some, you know, maybe not transparency in that. But at the same time, it was important for me to have the conversation because the kid that's on the bottom of the dog pile, he may not actually be so cool with this. Right. Um, But, you know, just to be able to say, like, consent isn't something that we reserve for that, like, hey, let's talk about the birds and the bees conversation. Like, consent applies to our lives in so many ways and so Mm -hmm. many applications and at every age range it doesn't have to be just a sex thing and i think it's when we develop that as part of our personality you know Mm -hmm. part of our characteristics part of our our quality and value system even really to that point that we engage to that level of hey i'd like to talk about this is this okay with you Or, you know, like any sort of way of checking in to build that kind of relationship, to build that trust level, it takes things to a completely new level that I don't know that we as a society have really experienced before, at least as it relates to this kind of thing. Uh, I, yes, absolutely. And and that consent conversation, um, if you think about it, is really about empowerment. It's it's Mm -hmm. empowering that young boy in the dog pile to say, stop, this is freaking uncomfortable and I can't breathe. If he wants to, you know, sometimes kids are just like, ah, whatever, they just want to keep going. But that idea that because of peer pressure and because this is what all my friends are doing, that I have to just take this shit and, and I can't raise my hand and say, I'm out. I don't want to participate in this. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a great trait to, to I think, in part to kids, the ability to raise their hand or, or just speak out and say, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. Um, it suddenly consent is very closely related to dissent mm. and, and voices of dissent are, are very important. 
uh, in our world because of the this that whole tendency we've talked about to form groups. <laughs> we we want to we want to just like kind of uh, you know blanket consent to everything in the group. We don't want to be that voice that says nah no no I don't like like that. I'm not going to be part of that because then now we're different. We're not part of the group anymore. And how that applies to women in church is, you know, I, I've been lucky to know several girls who, who were kind of like, no, fuck that. I'm going to wear what I want and be what I want and be who I want. Um, uh, actually, the, my, our friend in Chicago, who I was hanging out with, absolutely has that trait. Um, and that's, that's super fantastic. But not all girls have that luxury to have been given the, the permission, really, by their parents or by youth pastors or whoever to say, you can be that voice of dissent. You can mm-hmm. actually say, no, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I own my body. Yeah. I own my sense of purity. And yeah, I, I chose to give a guy a blowjob. And you know what? I am not impure because of it, because I made that fucking choice myself. Or that guy forced me, coerced me to give him a blowjob and somebody needs to know. Like either way, that girl feeling empowered to raise her hand and speak up, that to me is, is hugely valuable. And the only role I can really play as a male is, is to constantly say to my female friends, I'll listen to you. I'll be in here. I'll listen. I, you know, just say, say what you got to say. And that's what I, I'm trying to do. Uh, in my life now as an adult human functioning in society is be that listening ear who says to all of my friends, but especially my female friends, you will not hurt my feelings if you speak up and say that something I've said or done is um, hurtful Mm -hmm. or offensive or whatever. You won't hurt my feelings. Just say it. Uh, or, Or maybe, you know what, maybe you will hurt my feelings. Maybe it will sting a little bit for me to hear that but I need to hear it. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, I won't hate you for it. And I won't yell at you for it. And I won't, I won't reject you as a friend. I'll be grateful. And I will tell you I'm grateful for you sharing that piece with me. And, so, you know, we, we can change as individuals kind of how we relate, but society as a whole, it takes, that takes a long time. Right. And it takes the collection of individuals to slowly change that culture. And my little piece, and hopefully the piece other males are willing to play is, Let's just start listening to our mothers and daughters and sisters and friends. Just open your ears, man. Like mm. you're not required to have an opinion about it. <laughs> just, just listen yeah. to what they have to say. And I think even to go so far as to say is try not to have an opinion. Like just try, try listening just to listen and don't come to any conclusions and you know just just hear us that in of itself opens a deeper well of meaning and connection and i was reminded of of two different things um you know as as you're talking about this one is we can circle back to this in a second but one of my ahas recently as i was really you know, doing the really deep work that kind of led the foundation for recovering church girls, one of my big ahas was an unexpected consequence of the purity culture. I came to believe that men didn't want relationships for relationships sake. They only ever wanted sex. And so my idea of, you know, this is the kind of relationship I want Mm -hmm. was 
never to be fulfilled because really boys only just want one thing or, you know, whatever rubbish we were told as kids in order to protect this purity culture and to perpetuate that. So we can circle back to that in a second. But I'm also reminded, um, and I, I mentioned on the first episode that we did together, that this is such a great platform for me to express gratitude to you because you have to listen to me. Um, I was in a relationship that um, was not really the way it was supposed to be. And I didn't have a frame of reference for what it could have been or what it should have been. And you were incredibly helpful for me by listening and asking me the questions and kind of holding space for me. You know, you'd nudge me every now and then of like, so wait a second why is nobody know about your relationship again? Why is this a secret? Oh, well, because we work together. Okay, and he went out to dinner with the other girl. Why? Well, so that, you know, nobody knew that we were together. And you're like, yeah, do you hear yourself, Tanya? <laughs> but, you know, it was in that seeing things through your eyes as I'm able to tell you what's going on, you know, I don't know that I was going to get there on my own as quickly without having you in my world and you know holding space for me to be like yeah uh we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and call you on this hun and and that was helpful for me um where i was perpetuating the cycle Mm -hmm. and i didn't see it for myself because i think sometimes that happens with us as women is that we think that oh how do i want to say this so the environment that i was in in that particular position it was after the course of my first marriage, which again was very church-based, mm-hmm. and the corporate environment that I was in, all tied back to the church, and you know it was still it was a, a lot of continuation of the same themes and the same elements. Where professionally, you had to still fight for your voice to be heard, but it was a little bit better than any other sort mm-hmm. of context. Um, but it was still there was still a lot of residual shit that I had to identify before I could really get rid of it. Um, And just the, again, the value system and more specifically how I saw myself, how I valued myself was not all that strong at that point in my life. And that's something I really had to come back to who I am. And I think I'm far more now me than I have been in the last, you know, 10 years during all of that Mm -hmm. nonsense. So thank you Um, for that. (laughs) I, you know, the, I, I think listening, yes, is, should be our primary concern as dudes. Um, absolutely. And you're right, not forming opinions one way or the other, just, just listen. Um, but all, you know, in, in addition to that, like there's something that I have come to value um, that I didn't value in Christianity is my the importance of female friendship in my life and i you know there i think the byproduct of that whole you you kind of alluded to this you you put on a purity ring it's implied that you're going to wear that until you meet a husband that that, you know you so it's really just saying i assume you're going to get married that's where your value is at anyway that's why we're putting this jewelry on you um, and we keep referring to Proverbs 31, which is entirely about wives. Um, never mind that the average age of a wife back then was like 14 years old. And, you know, she was one of 10. 
Right. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> forget that we would actually talk about something like that. Right. But, you know, that I think the, where that kind of affected guys is, you know, what, uh, there's a <laughs> ice tea is, um, uh, or ice cube rather, um, a sage poet of our day, <laughs> uh, from the, uh, infamous rap group NWA and later a band called West Side Connection. Um, he wrote a line it, it's, it is irony. I mean, I think uh, that's lost on white people sometimes that <laughs> there's, there's a lot of irony in rap music, but he wrote this line and I, in this West Side Connect song says, I don't conversate with chicks. I ain't going to hit. <clears throat> and let me translate that to white people speak. <laughs> I don't talk to women I'm not going to eventually fuck or try to fuck or whatever. Like, that's my whole purpose for existing and uh, with women. Um, and I, th you know, that's extreme. But in Christianity, we were kind of told, I can't be very close. I can't be closely bonded with a female mm -hmm. who I don't intend to marry. Right. And that sucks because that is robbing men really even of having these deep important conversations with the women in their lives because mm. i can't be super intimate with you because that i reserve that for my wife right and even then you know i'm her spiritual leader so like ah, i can't be vulnerable i gotta be like <laughs> impenetrable so that is something that over the last you know, several years, I have come to like really appreciate and really value and start to identify is having surrounding myself with women who I am not trying to sleep with. And I like, that's the, it doesn't sound important, but that's so novel to somebody raised in that Christian tradition. Not that Christians are just trying to sleep with every girl in their life. <laughs> they're certainly not because they're told that that's wrong. What, but what they are told is, you know, the, really the only reason why God created male and female is for marriage and procreation. So mm -hmm. there's no, uh, there's no value in having really close friendships. In fact, we're told that's dangerous well, yeah, to have because close friendships. At that point, you know, you're really talking about emotional betrayal and mm -hmm. emotional infidelity. If you have a friendship that is taking something away from either yep. your real spouse or from your imagined eventually will be spouse. Um, and I, I don't mean to say that in such a way as to belittle, you know, because I, I do think that that may play a part into, you know, when you have an affair situation, clearly there is something to be said about how you mm. connect with other people versus how you connect with your spouse. I don't mean to tangle that or to belittle that situation, but when we're talking in the theoretical sense, like there are no engagement rings anywhere, nobody mm -hmm. is getting married, you know, literally, and yet when we're 16, 17, 18, the conversations are, you know, well, we can't be friends because that would lead to too intimate of a relationship and I don't know if I'm going to marry you so we can't even be friends exactly that, that was that that was such a big thing that was how I felt uh being in that world I felt that I you know I had good girlfriends you, yourself included and but I felt the need to temper and limit those relationships um because, uh, you know, I, maybe I was dating somebody else or maybe I had no intention to date anybody, regardless of what my reasons were. 
if I had no intent to hit, there was no need to conversate. And that's, that's just dangerous because it is, it's robbing men and women the, the opportunity to have these types of discussions, mm -hmm. to have very healthy friction because you don't really have healthy friction without intimacy to have a friend in my life who will say, dude, no, that's fucking sexist or no, that's rapey. That's creepy. That's weird. Don't do that. Like if you don't have a woman in your life calling your bullshit like that, then, then you're just like, well, I guess everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously not fine when we have, you know, major celebrities who think it's okay to drug a girl and have sex with her 40 plus times over mm. um and then people defend that behavior because he right. sells jello pudding pops i mean right. we we've we've created a culture that's semi-okay with that and the fact that brock turner is not in prison mm. getting his ass beat every day in the in the showers you know like i uh, that that's the unhealthy result of right. that and so i you know am i i'm not tying everything on to my inability to have female friendships in the past but i certainly think that is that was part of it that was an outgrowth of that purity culture mm -hmm. of i can't be your your close friend um i can't be intimate with you unless we are getting married or already married already bound to each other thus i own you now and so right. i own your intimacy mm -hmm. um and at that point, then that really sets the stage for um, the extreme jealousy that is very prevalent in uh, relationships, specifically within mm -hmm. the Christian community. And, you know, I, that was something that I saw as a, you know, kind of fallout from the divorce. I remember an older woman in my church who she was actually like, you know, the Bible study leader type of a thing. And I remember her saying, just be careful in how you present yourself and the friendships that you choose to maintain because you are now a threat. And this was from somebody in my church, you know, of, yeah. of kind of like going, hold on, you were, <laughs> wait, what? You know, it just, and it was that piece of a complete disconnect that boy, did that ever ring true that mm -hmm. the, the friendships, the relationships that used to be, you know, all the couple friends, and it would be the six or seven couples that would all get together once a week uh, when all of a sudden you're the only single person that's showing up to that community, things change and they change fast. And I really think that part of that came down again to this level of men and women simply can't be friends. And it, it really was, um, you know, kind of, I think it was both implicitly and explicitly said but very much pervasive, a part of the culture growing up, and that continued on as a grown-ass adult. That's, to me, one of the worst parts of purity culture. And again, I think the weight of it's put on women. I do. I, I don't think the bulk of the weight, like I talked earlier about feeling like they were assigning some sense of responsibility to us, but it was a different kind of responsibility. It was, mm -hmm. it was an ownership responsibility. Almost, it was paternalistic. It was, I'm responsible for your purity once you're mine. Mm. Uh, that's that's an interesting delineation because at that point, I mean, my 
my sexual experience was different than yours in the sense that you'd already said, you know, I had sex in high school, I had sex in college. That was not me. I had sex with my husband was the first time. Not We weren't married yet, but that was the first time that I had sex. Barely. Because up until that point, again, this idea of the purity thing, like it was how razor close to the edge can you get yeah, yeah, yeah. without actually breaking the rules? And I think that that's, I realized, yes, the, the, the thing I just said, I realized I just did this. Um, it's out there now, too late. <laughs> but, yep. but the idea being, you know, again, how that connects back in to this responsibility, the ownership, you're not actually mine yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to push that line as far as I can and expect for you to be the one to pull back, you know, type yeah. of a thing. Totally. I, man, I am like, I'm trying really hard. And so many things I'm saying, I'm like, oh, that could be totally taken as so many different innuendos and double entendres and oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's what's done is done. I, I have seen that. I saw that at ORU. I, I had a friend at ORU who we got very intimate with once and kept all our clothes on. And I, I won't get graphic, but we both finished the process and <laughs> but with clothes on and everything else about that situation was sex but we you know we didn't we didn't cross that line you know yeah, like you we, kept all the rules intact we kept all the rules intact for the most part i still carried guilt from it though yeah, and sure. i i i felt like with this particular person who we had had some really moving conversations um about how she really wanted to have sex and she felt guilty because she felt like Christianity was telling her that that's mm -hmm. sinful for a girl to want to have sex and that not being privy to what y'all re were being told. I, I had never seen that, but like she reported it that mm -hmm. somehow she felt that it was a woman's role to not want sex and she felt guilty because she wanted it. And mm -hmm. being a 20, I think it was 20, 20 or 21 at the time, I'm not saying that I like pot, like put that in the back of my mind, like, hmm. but <laughs> I will, I will say that, uh, you know, that having that intimacy and that conversation certainly contributed to our interaction later. Um, and uh, the fact that both of us probably walked away from that feeling like, yeah, we kept all the rules intact, but we're lesser Christians because of it. Yeah. Um, for very yeah. different reasons, you know? I mean, sure, she walked away thinking, I pressed his passion button. Oh my God, I'm so bad. <laughs> and I walked away thinking like, I should have protected her from herself. Mm. And either way, so neither of us should have felt guilty. Like, cause seriously, I've never, it never has occurred to me ever, 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 ever that, that that's where you guys would have the conversation because we were told the same thing. Um, but more specifically, you know, as it relates to to the lust and the, right. the responsibility was not just in making sure that we towed the line, but it was also in what we wore or what we talked about or, you know, how we behaved, like everything from not only the, the length of our skirts, but the width of our shoulder straps. Mm -hmm. You know, could we wear a regular bra? Or if we had to wear a strapless, then clearly that was inappropriate. Mm -hmm. it's, it's unhealthy. So, I, I mean, it, and it's, we, we can tease about it now because I think thankfully that, that whole little bit has shrunken in, uh, in Christian society so much to where now we're, we're seeing pictures from that era online and everybody's just laughing at them. Mm -hmm. um, 
sometimes they're a little gross, like the kind of engagement photo shoots that girls would do with their dads oh, when they get in there. And I mean, it's funny. You look at it, we're laughing, but I then I, I'm that. like, I laugh because it's scary. And if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Like that's right. just horrible. <laughs> and uh, I, that's the, I, I, it's not so much the unhealthy part in the middle. It's, it's all these things that kind of come out of those, of that process that has, has been damaging to, to women. And I, you know, I'm the guy in the room. I'll say to men as well. Men have been damaged by it. Men have been influenced. I mean, think about what's what's implicit when you tell a man, "Hey, women need to dress modestly so they don't trigger your your rape instinct." Mm. Like, what? It, am I That's incapable? Am I incapable of valuing a woman for who she is uh, just because she's attractive to me? Am I incapable of? Um, you know, to, to use that word, conversating with a chick I ain't going to hit. Like, am I, am I incapable of that? Am I only capable of looking at a woman as a sexual uh, object? Is that all I'm really ultimately capable of? I don't believe that's true. But I feel like that Christian purity culture, it, it was implying that. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's really, there's this beast inside of me that just wants to rape and pillage and and uh, if I don't, if I'm not careful, and if, if women aren't careful, then they're going to trigger that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm just going to, you know, start fucking every person I see. And uh, whether they want it or not, it doesn't matter because, sorry, you triggered my passion button. Right. And really, You're that's lost. just who you are. I mean, you, you right. couldn't possibly be anything beyond that. That's just who and what you are. And then, the, the, yeah, exactly. And the ancillary concepts that come out of that, that sex is dirty and wrong and, you know, like, now I'm dirty and wrong and I'm, I'm broken. And we go back to the conversation we had in the last episode. I'm not worthy of God's love and forgiveness, but he gives it to me anyway. So thank God for Jesus because otherwise I wouldn't be a worthy human. And it's just this cyclical thought process that again, is harmful to both men and women. I would pose more so to women (laughs) because the, 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 the damage that I had to deal with was really just, having to realign my views of myself done mm-hmm. you know I mean, that's doesn't really hurt anybody but the way it can hurt women is um you know there you know, there's there's horrific stories of pastors and other people taking advantage of girls because they feel like they owe them their bodies mm-hmm. um and again like my friend my friend rachel from last week who four years later she's she is intellectually a, she's smarter than me and she is an emotionally sound person and yet still carries some kind of little bug in her ear that says you own some part of your abuser's actions mm-hmm. and that's that that kind of stuff is disgusting and and it's why it's important that mm-hmm. we have these conversations and we address these things head on even though I'm not a part of the Christian world anymore I still absolutely would always happily engage in the purity conversation because that's that's affecting people in a very um, deep way you know that that isn't is negative i don't think there's anything positive that comes out of that right absolutely and i think too it's there's so much that is rooted in the patriarchal mindset and perspective 
that translates far outside of the church and the Christian culture. You know, so much of American society is still heavily rooted in that. And that's where we see so many conversations happening across so many different spectrums, whether that's, you know, uh, the socioeconomic status, whether that's different industries, you know, we're all having the same conversations because it's part of the foundation. Mm -hmm. So until we can really have this in a more holistic manner and in a more one-on-one connected manner and start to internalize and, and, you know, make the changes individually, then collectively Mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to get there either. It it does start one-to-one and then that's where we begin to build that momentum and to have that new identity that we're creating and that we are literally co-creating what that's going to look like instead of just perpetuating the system. Yeah. Um, I, I do have one child in my life who I'm the only significant male in her life. It's my niece. Um, she's not my daughter and I, I don't want to in any way suggest that I share the exact same role as a parent, but, um, her own father is not a part of her life. And so it's me. And so I'm I'm an uncle plus, I say that a lot (laughs) when people ask me what my relationship is with her. Um, I am, I am the guy who's trying to be a positive influence in her life beyond her fantastic mother, who's doing a great job by herself. Um, And this you're you're hitting this very topic is something that I am trying as a male to be a a positive influence for her um little little ways Mm uh from a very early age you know I I would only accept affection from her when she wanted to give it Mm -hmm. and that's very different than the way I was raised and even even sometimes like her her grandmother has said you know hug your uncle Dan and I'm like no (laughs) Don't tell her to give me affection just because mm-hmm. it's owed to me. It's not owed to me. Right. And, uh, you know, that's one tiny way I've been trying, trying in my own little way to be a positive influence on her, to communicate to her, I love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you love me no matter what. If you don't feel like giving me a hug, don't give me a hug. It doesn't change anything at all. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel like giving me a kiss, don't give me a kiss. It doesn't change anything. I still love you just as much. I still believe that you love me just as much mm-hmm. and we can just go about our day. And I like, I, I'm hoping <laughs> again, I, you know, you know, this as a parent, like you don't really know what the outcome of these things is going to be until later in their life. And then you hope, mm-hmm. Oh, right. wow. She's a strong independent woman. I hope in some way I influenced that. But right now I'm, I'm trying to create this mindset in her that her body belongs to her. Mm-hmm. What she does with her body belongs to her and when she is older and capable of making decisions about her sexuality Mm -hmm. um i i really hope that that this ideology i'm trying to impart is valuable to her in some way and whether she decides to not have sex or to have sex either way she i want her to own that and I don't want her to feel like she is impure <laughs> or broken or damaged one way or the other, you know, like uh, it's, it, it can go both ways. If you're 30 years old and you haven't had sex yet, you know, still society's kind of like, what? 
mm-hmm. what happened to you? And, and likewise, inside of Christian culture, if you're 21 and you've already had three sexual partners, well, what, what kind of a slut are you? Mm-hmm. And both of those ideas are gross and dangerous and need to be addressed. And in this little girl's life, over whom I have some measure of influence, I, I want to be the male voice who's saying, you, you are a valuable human being who has the power to control your choices. And you have that power. I can't remember if we talked about this episode, but between stimulus and the response that you give, there's a vast distance there. And you have the power to decide how you're going to react to that stimulus. And um, it's the same power that every other human being, male or female, possesses. That's what I want to communicate to her. And um, I don't know, she's turning out okay. I tell people often that she, she might be just like the bitchiest little awful five-year-old that's ever walked the face of the planet, but she can do no wrong in my eyes. So as far as I'm concerned, she's, she's an angel. She's and doing just fine. She's doing just fine. Yeah. It's, it, maybe she is that, but don't ever say those words to me because, you know, I will have words with you. Um, I love that. Yeah, she's fantastic. Well, and I can tell you from when they get a little bit older. So my daughter is uh, 15 now. She turned 16 in January. Mm -hmm. And we have very similar conversations when it comes to affection. And even when, you know, she gets upset about something and, um, you know, had a really bad day at school or she's, you know, mad about something or whatever, Mm -hmm. I learned, you know, a while ago to say, can I give you a hug? Is it okay if I hug you? And I am so proud. I'm a little bit hurt. My feelings got a little bit stung, but I'm so proud of her when she says, no, mom, not right now. Yeah, absolutely. It does and sting, but, but being willing to put up with that makes you an amazing parent. Well, and being you know what to- is so magical about this is that there, I can't even tell you how many times when we're outside of that moment of, you know, her just mm-hmm. being really heartbroken or whatever the case might be, where she has said to me completely unsolicited out of the blue, Hey mom, I just want to let you know I really appreciate when you ask me before you hug me because that makes me feel like it's really up to me and I know that you're always there for me and I really appreciate that. Is it okay if I hug you now? Mm-hmm. And like it just I mean the, it, these are conversations that I'm like who how did that even happen? <laughs> you know like it feels like those are the like the most amazing things. And I was like, "Oh wait, it happened because that's what we patterned for each other in yeah. this in this moment." And that has been that's been pretty magical. So I have a feeling you'll be having, if you haven't already, you'll be having the same conversations as that, that unfolds. I'm sure it'll happen. I mean, I, I've told people, Maddie will break my heart a thousand times over the course of her lifetime and I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I still, I love her dearly and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm all right with it. Please break my heart. I'd rather, I'd rather her say, no, I don't want to hug Uncle Dan, or please don't be here when this boy comes to pick me up. I'd rather hear those things and have her be making, have the agency to make those decisions than mm-hmm. to have her feel like she has to, she owes me something. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I know that that's birthed out of Christianity a little bit, but it's also, I think the responsibility is shared by the paternalistic culture that we have. Um, I, I believe that it is that is very closely intertwined with Christianity. Most of Western culture is an outcropping of Judeo-Christian ethic. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I think Christianity kind of owns that. 
-hmm. So we, we talk about paternalism and I know it exists in other cultures that are devoid of Christianity, but if you look at the roots of our culture and the roots of our, our paternalistic value system, it's pretty rooted, deeply rooted in Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, once again, this has been an amazing conversation and I appreciate not only the, the time and the attention here, but in so many ways, I think being the guy friend that a lot of us haven't had willing to say the things that you've said today. So thank you for that. Well, I hope uh, anybody that's watching this who knows me personally, if I, you know, I, apparently you can watch this episode and know that you have full license to call me on bullshit. So uh, <laughs> hopefully the other men in your life feel the same way. You know, I know a lot of great guys who feel the same way I do. And, um, you know, we're not, we're not all uh, raging lunatic rapists like uh, Christianity seems to think. So. <laughs> Boy, am I grateful for that one. That's for sure. So I'm, this has just been so good and so healing um, for me, even personally, after all of these, uh, all of, wow, I can't even talk, after all of these years, um, just to be able to kind of put some frameworks around certain things and to see it from the other, other side of the coin. Uh, so thank you for that. And for those of you who are listening and watching, uh, you know the drill, share it with somebody else that you think might really get something out of this conversation and join the conversation yourself at Recovering Church Girls. You know where to find us on all the social media and the show notes and yada, yada, yada. Um, but just join in because these are important conversations that are being had because we now have the power and the agency ourselves to call things for what they are and to be able to really take ownership of who we are, who we become, our spirituality, our faith, you know, all the things that we talk about here. Uh, there's a there's a pretty amazing thing that's happening and, and we're right in the middle of it. So thank you again, Dan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been Bye. a real pleasure. Bye. Uh, pleasure is mine. <laughs> Bye.